Welcome to this, the 35th or so episode of the Complete Discography, not counting the other ones. And tonight we're talking about the 35th book, surprisingly, but also the third book in the Tiffany Aching series, Wintersmith. So before we get started, I guess we should do our silly titles. Kat, you want to lead us off? Uh, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Kat. And before I got married to my husband, I was my surname was Street. So I was Miss Street. So that means my witch name is Miss Street. <laughs> I am Justin, and I'm more of an autumn guy than a summer lady. <laughs> I'm Anna, and it was only light cackling, I swear. <laughs> and I am Aaron, and this time of year, quite possibly also a sapient wheel of cheese, at least by weight. Do you hum a bit? No, but I can sing a few bars. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and that voice that you heard right at the top uh, is our returning guest because she called, heard what we were doing next and called dibs. Kat, you want to remind the folks who are listening who you are? Uh, yeah. So I'm Kat Day. I'm not actually Cat Street. That's just my witch, witch name, like I say. Um, <clears throat> I'm Kat Day. I am a editor and uh, of, I am an editor. That's bad, isn't it? <laughs> I'm an editor and, <laughs> and, and a writer. Uh, I work for Pseudopod, uh, the horror podcast, which you should definitely go and listen to when you finish with this one. And I also work as a medical editor uh, for one of the bigger advertising companies. And um, yeah, I read an awful lot of Terry Pratchett books. Well, we are very happy to have you back. Uh, Witcher Smith, I think, is one of the highlights of the series uh, in more than a few ways. And it's great to have somebody uh, with both the literary and, and Terry Pratchett specific expertise to help us along with this recording. I'm very pleased to be here. I love this book. This is one of my, I mean, I can't really pick a favorite because it's a bit like trying to pick your favorite <laughs> child. I think I said that last time, but this is definitely one of my favorite books. Uh, well, let's see. Anna, do you want to just, Give us a quick summary of the book. Yeah, sure. So as Aaron noted, we're back with Tiffany, who is now almost 13 year years old and currently training with the extremely elderly Miss Treason, who borrows others to use as her eyes and ears, her own having failed decades ago. Um, Miss Treason is also known for mediating disputes among the members of her village, uh, and she brings Tiffany to witness a Morris dance. But this is no ordinary Morris dance. It's the dark Morris dance silently and in black to mark the turning of the seasons from summer to winter rather than the reverse. But Tiffany doesn't know what the dance is, and her feet lead her to join in the circle, where she encounters and catches the eye of the anthropomorphic personification of winter, the wintersmith. The wintersmith is intrigued by Tiffany, first returning the silver horse pendant that she lost during the dance, then delivering more dramatic gifts such as Tiffany-shaped snowflakes and roses made of ice. Tiffany, in return, is gaining some of the powers of the anthropomorphic personification of the summer, the summer lady, including plants growing where she walks and the appearance of a horn of plenty. To prevent him from finding her exact location, Tiffany must throw away the silver horse. Throughout all of this supernatural drama, Tiffany has to deal with real-world events. Miss Treason dies at the age of 111, although she tells everybody else that it's 113. And Tiffany has to organize her going-away party, held the day before her death, of course, prepare the cottage to pass on to the next witch, who turns out to be Anagramma, and move to Lanker to train with Nanny Og. 
Anagramma, of course, was trained by Mrs. Earwig rather than the more traditional witches, and thus has learned lots of magic, but essentially no witchcraft. And Tiffany organizes the other young witches to help her out once Anagramma realizes just how far out of her depth she is. The wintersmith's focus on Tiffany means an intensely cold and snowy winter, although she convinces him to stop making the Tiffany-shaped icebergs, at least. He's also confused that Tiffany rejected him for not being a human and begins to make himself a human, question marks, body based on a children's poem, although he does struggle with the last few lines, including strength enough to build a home, time enough to hold a child, and love enough to break a heart, since he's not able to find, uh, you know, a sack of love or a, um, you know, spare wheel of strength anywhere. Things come to a head when the silver horse pendant reappears in the stomach of a fish on the chalk, leading the wintersmith directly to Tiffany during the middle of lambing. She uses magic to melt the snow and save at least some of the lambs, but the wintersmith brings her to his palace and crowns her as his queen. Meanwhile, the Fiegels have been training Roland to be a hero, and they lead him to the underworld to awaken and bring back the true summer lady, as Tiffany transfers the heat of the sun to the wintersmith and melts him with a kiss. The summer returns, and Granny Weatherwax brings Tiffany to the Morris Dance, where she doesn't join in this time. And that's that's most of the book. There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of detail in there that is being glossed over, and uh, you should read it if you haven't done so le- recently. Before we go any further, Kat, as the resident Brit, would you please explain to us silly colonials what Morris dancing is? Oh my God! Wow. <laughs> I, um. Now, <clears throat> okay. Before I dive into this, I want to stress that I have not read a lot of uh, books and folklore about the Morris dance, which I feel I should say because uh, there will definitely be people that know an awful lot more about this than I know. (laughs) But essentially, it is groups of men who dance uh, around springtime Usually, I mean, obviously, we've got the Dark Morris here, which is a different thing. Uh, and it is, it kind of comes in alongside all of the the kind of the May Day celebrations and things like that. Traditionally, they wear white shirts and have kind of uh, ribbons tied around their legs. And, and they have a lot, there's a lot of bells. There are a lot of bells involved. <laughs> and they dance around and hit sticks a lot and uh yeah that's that's kind of that's kind of what it that's what you see as an outsider so i think (laughs) it's it's just one of those sort of strange folkloric traditions that you kind of take for granted because you've seen it many times and then somebody asks you about it and and you kind of go uh yeah all right yeah it it is a bit weird i'm sorry (laughs) yeah they, they stand in rows and they dance opposite each other and they they clack sticks with each other. They hit each other's sticks. And there's bells. Did I mention bells? <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those things that, like, upon like learning a bit, I thought this sounds fake, and then learned that this was a real thing. <laughs> it. I think it's just because it's like the English. Like learning that this is an English tradition. It's like this sounds made up <laughs> because. I mean, Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, shall I say a bit about the Dark Morris? Because this I did look up. Yeah, we we can can talk about that too, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, because if you in the back of Wintersmith, Terry Pratchett, there's a note from Terry Pratchett, and he says he he made he made it up, or at least I thought I did. He said, but um, I I know that I have been wandering around Oxfordshire and have bumped into uh, Morris dancers in the autumn wearing black, and I kind of looked at them and went, "The dark Morris," and they went, "What?" <laughs> so <laughs> they. They were dancing the Morris in the autumn, wearing dark coloured clothes. They did not think that Terry Pratchett had made them up. <laughs> so I, I think, I mean, the name Dark Morris, he certainly did invent. That's that's not a, that's not a, a traditional thing. But the idea of Morris dancers wearing black and dancing in the autumn, in other words, to, to welcome in the winter, is not entirely well they don't they don't dress in black and dance in silence if you know that that or that is all him but i think mm-hmm. the, the idea that there there are there's a there's another morris dance on the other side of the year was mm. a thing that existed i did look this up and there's something called the welsh border dance as well which is uh danced on the saturday before christmas so that's and that's danced in the counties on the Welsh borders so uh yeah we've also got here where we get into slightly perhaps delicate territory is there's a tradition of um blacking up the faces which to us now seems um, a bit problematic and I think probably doesn't happen anymore but certainly did happen for a long time um but it wasn't about blackface in the sense of caricaturing uh, people of colour. It was about uh, disgu- hiding the face in the in the nighttime. You know, making you making you uh, hard to see. And it was it was based on um, some riots that took place in the fifteenth century, uh, where the men kind of the men kind of went in and they had covered their face in charcoal to hide their faces. Uh, they were poachers. So yeah, so there is all this. There's all this kind of folklore stuff and these dances, and it's not. It's not completely unheard of to have dancers at the autumn, the kind of winter end of the year, uh, as well as at the springtime. So that idea is not completely original. But yeah, the concept of them being called the Dark Morris, that's that was Terry Pratchett. And the, the <laughs> Octoron bells, obviously, are something that exists in, uh, <laughs> in Discworld, but not in Round World. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure they were made of brass i'm gonna go with brass (laughs) actually though now i'm thinking about it i mean they do look silver but i i mean they wouldn't actually be made of silver i wouldn't have thought so who knows maybe it's some sort of iron i mean there's a whole fairy thing to get into there isn't there (laughs) yeah 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 i remember the weaponized morris from uh from lords and ladies too yeah, yeah. Yes. I went to, it was funny, I went to visit the Rollwright Stones recently and I, took, and I took my daughter, this is just yesterday actually, I took my daughter and uh, she was, the, so the Rollwright Stones, uh, for people who don't know, are uh, a circle of standing stones in Oxfordshire and um, my daughter was there with me and she said, can I stand in the middle? And I went, no, don't, have I taught you nothing? The fairies will get you. <laughs> <laughs> some, some other some other visitor to the stage just like looked at me and grinned <laughs> go and 
stand in the middle of a fairy rig? What are you doing? <laughs> what are the things did you really want to clear up before we started talking about the book? I have a, a minor point. Is I'm kind of wondering at this point, how much of the other witches' books do we think readers are expected? I'll put that in air quotes. Expected to have read uh, by this point. Um, because We Free Men and Hatful of Sky were super standalone. Mm -hmm. But this one felt a lot more integrated into the kind of overall witch's timeline that we have the introduction of Nanny Og. There's more concrete references where I could see potentially there actually being confusion if somebody hadn't previously read about Nanny Og's family, etc. Dear Nanny Og. God, yeah. that was a bad one. <laughs> but they, they cross over, they cross... They're at least on the border between like Easter egg and references that people are readers are expected to get. So I kind of wanted to get others feeling on that. So judging by my daughter's reaction, who has not read the other witches books, but has read through Wintersmith of the aching series did not concern her at all. She didn't feel like she was left out or didn't, or didn't know anything. Okay. And she thought that the, the very forthright way in which Tiffany's like, I live on a farm. I know what sex is was <laughs> <laughs> something i was curious about because i'm like it was just because i didn't really go back and read it but like the opening the the cold open of the book is it that that future was averted or it is no it's 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 in media res basically that okay. and, mm -hmm. yeah. and that's not that actually could have been made a little bit clearer in the book i think mm -hmm. um that Mm -hmm. because it kind of talks about that as a feature that could be averted, but it's not. Right. And like, I got hooked on that. And then I was like, mm -hmm. I don't know that, that like as, as somebody, as a writer, that seems like an interesting, like that seems like an interesting way to hook for a book of like provide a possible future and then roll back from it. But then it was like, no, that's, that's where we end up eventually. So mm -hmm. I thought that maybe Terry Pratchett was trying to, uh, turn the book into more of a circle, hmm. uh, mm -hmm. reflecting the 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 movement of the of the seasons. Um, and he was so he wanted he wanted very much to start and end in the same place. That's right. But nice. there was no, I think there were, you know th there was no easy way to do that in terms of passage of time. So he kind of cheated a bit, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I think that's it. He wanted to start and end in the same place, and I think that was how he did it. Yeah, I mean, the only indication we really get is that it, he folds it back into the the now timeline in you know the the beginning of chapter thirteen when he says that was then, this is now, and then you're like, okay, uh, gotta climb on. Mm. Does that satisfy you, though, Justin? Yeah, I mean, maybe not as maybe not as wholly as I as I want, but like informationally, yes. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, maybe not so much. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I like I feel like I noticed it more noticed that disjunction that you're talking about more this time Justin than I had yeah. on previous read throughs so I'm right there with you yeah I think is it the first time you read it Justin first time reading all these books right, yeah the first time I read it it didn't jolt me that much but ne this time it actually did a little bit and I think it's because I knew what the plot was <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and so it, it sort of yeah it just feels slightly slightly odd but yeah, I don't think it bothered me the first time. Yeah, it's it's mostly just because of like I, uh, I I've been reading some stuff that involves like time travel and possible futures being used in an area mm -hmm. recently, and so it was on the mind. 
and it was like, ooh, that'd be really cool. Um, but that, I guess it was, I was looking for something that was not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a me problem, not a Terry problem. <laughs> I mean, he does hint at it. Like, you're right. Yeah. And so being primed for that isn't, I don't think, isn't a bad thing. Yeah. But, so I can see where the, where the confusion would come in. Mm-hmm. Like, as you were saying it, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that does that does not sort of bump you out of the flow a little bit. But I don't know. Yeah. And as you're reading, you're kind of like looking. It means you're kind of looking for places where um, where they could have made different choices hmm. and where things could have gone differently that would not end up in that same place. Right. But- so broadening our view back a little bit, Justin, first impressions. Um, overall, I, I very much enjoyed it. I think one of the things that it's like there, there's this feels like a very much bigger world than either of the first two Tiffany books. Uh, the other thing that is like this feels a lot. There's a lot less comical stuff in mm-hmm. this compared to a lot of Terry books. Even like coming off of Thud, there are like legitimately like laugh out loud moments in in Thud. Yeah, and like there's a lot of them. There aren't a lot here. Mm-hmm. And I think like even like, I, I think part of that is like how dire the the cold open is. Yeah. And and the the fegals continue to be used fairly sparingly. Yeah. That they're yeah. they're there. They're funny, but they're not they're not as present as they were in We Free Men. Mm-hmm. There, there is there is a rather lovely funny moment where Granny and Miss Earwig are talking to each other and anagramma and Tiffany are just rolling their eyes and <laughs> in horror at each other as they say, you know, terribly insulting but don't appear to be terribly insulting things to each other. The, the like, That's, weaponized politeness. Yes, yes, because Miss Earwig calls Granny Miss Weatherwax and the girls yeah. are like, oh! I, I did really like how they put a pin in the idea that, you know, witches are friends when they're mean to each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This book relief to me feels like a fulcrum point in many ways. You know, it's definitely for, for like theme related reasons too. It feels like that, that tipping point where Tiffany is turning from girl Tiffany to young woman, Tiffany, uh, you know, it's even like the summer lady highlights it at one point, um, late in the conversation. Uh, and you know, the, the depth to which we get, which philosophy, which culture, which sort of technical stuff. It, it, I mean, it's more than we got in any of the mainline books uh, to to a pretty significant degree. Um, but then also like the way it flows directly in from small gods too. Uh, it really feels like Terry is just sort of like, I'm unifying all of my thoughts here in a young adult book. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's often the way, isn't it? The, his young adult books were where he did all his best, his darkest, <laughs> his best and his darkest work. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah, this is a re- I just think this is a really powerful book. I feel like mm. the witches, as uh, a whole group, come into their own in this book in the way that they haven't in the past. You see the different generations. You see them work. You see them sort of interacting as a big group, which you, we haven't seen that much of, have we? I don't think in the books up until this point. Uh, 
you see, you know, you see that kind of like you say that whole discussion about the whole cackling thing. You know mm-hmm. how they keep on top of each other. How it, how it's so important that they don't uh, go to the cackle. Yeah. Uh, there is there's lovely prose uh, as there always is in every Terry Pratchett book. Um, and yeah, I just think it's just it's a really lovely book. Yeah, it is. It's definitely from his kind of peak period, isn't it? Where he's yeah. really kind of nailing every aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And, and another thing is I I like how this one, um, you know, in terms of like expanding the the whole thread of the witches and, you know, adding more detail into the kind of culture and world, this one makes it a lot more clear exactly what Mrs. Earwig is, which is that she is essentially a self-trained wizard who believes that the word for a female wizard is witch. Yeah. I mean, this is the only, I think this is the only book in Discworld where we have seen somebody cast a fireball. Right, right. Like she's, she's doing wizard magic that like she's learned out of books or something like that. And that's what she's taught anagramma. Like anagramma is referring to, to spells that we've seen the, the wizards use before. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and maybe he was setting things up, I mean not to kind of give things away for later, but maybe he's uh set that was that was a, a deliberate plan for setting things up for later. Yeah. Mm. But it, it's it's a bit of an interesting, you know, if we're going full circle that essentially starts to go full circle to equal rights of all things. Yeah. yeah, but I'm also I'm thinking ahead to the Yeah, uh, yeah. I know I'm yeah, I know what you're thinking yeah. ahead to, but yeah. let's not spoil <laughs> Justin on it. No, 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 no. <laughs> but yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. I mean I I think that's really interesting that I, I'd never really thought about Miss Earwig as um as a wizard you know, a wizard essentially a wizard. But that's yeah. a really interesting idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I liked how Tiffany at one point even was like if I'd just stayed down on the chalk and figured all these things out by myself how how fast would it have ta- how long would it have taken me to start cackling <laughs> yeah yeah well her granny didn't cackle so That's true. yeah maybe never yeah i mean we don't i mean, but we don't know whether granny got or her, her grandmother got any training or anything or, i mean i feel we, like granny weatherwax would have known yeah. yeah well and we also we also don't know whether it seems like the other witches wouldn't have considered her to be cackling, but like also, you know, she did live in a very, you know, in isolation, et cetera, et cetera. So like her, her lifestyle was off also very different from most of the witches in terms of her relationship to the community. Um, so maybe they would have considered that to be cackling. Like, you know, you're li- living in a little shepherd's hut all by yourself and like not speaking to basically anybody i i feel a bit like terry pratchett got himself in a bit of a in a bit of a corner painted himself into a bit of a corner with that because in equal rights granny is very isolated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then then kind of in weird sisters okay we have two other witches but that they feel very much alone and he's obviously realized okay i can't 
this isn't sustainable. If I'm going to write a whole series of books about witches, I need more witches. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's kind of expanded the whole witch thing. But they did start from a place of being very uh, much kind of lone characters. You had one witch per village. Mm-hmm. And that and that witch looked after that village, and you know there wasn't that much interaction with other witches. And now he's kind of building in this thing of like, oh well, they do. They go and check up on each other every now and then. And yeah, I mean, gr- granted, you know the the ongoing thread of like most of the witches' books is is Granny Weatherwax cackling yet? <laughs> is it is she in this book? Is this the book that where she snaps? Because mm. uh, that's kind of the that's kind of a running thing. Uh, so let's talk about the the main thrust of the book, uh, which I feel pretty confident saying is adolescence. I'm not going to argue with you on that one. Yeah, I mean, the, like, I, I have, a, I have, like, there, there's a secondary, there's, there's a big secondary theme, I think. But yeah, adolescence grown up. Yeah. 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 And the books are kind of growing up too, like in terms mm-hmm. of who, like the 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 readership level that's being aimed at is definitely growing with Tiffany. Um, that the the first one was seemed very pretty pretty firmly, you know, in the older middle grade, and now we're pretty firmly YA as Tiffany hits thirteen. Mm-hmm. I definitely heard our conversation with Ursula Vernon, though, in the back of my head, this, the, reading this entire book, she was just like, it's really, really unfair that he got to write this character. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's interesting because it definitely seems to be pretty aligned with like people who would be Tiffany's age reading as t- and growing up as Tiffany does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I would drill into that a bit more because I think adolescence is a very broad mm-hmm. thing to say. And and I think the main theme is about boundaries hmm. because I think one of the things that just keeps coming up in this book over and over again is how Tiffany's boundaries are constantly crossed and how she has hmm. been essentially taught that that is how it should be. She's She just accepts it. So you've got Miss Treason using her eyes without her permission. You've got Dr. Sensibility Bustle living in her head. She can't, you know, he's just there. You know, she's like, she should, tries not to get dressed in front of the mirror kind of thing, which, you know, I mean, whoa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Feagles go straight into her diary, open her letters. She just, she, she, yeah, she expects, she expects people to constantly be crossing over those lines with her. And... Uh, she's she's essentially been told that that's normal. That's and she's just grown up. That's a normal normal thing, and it it suddenly in this book it causes a massive problem because she comes into contact with this character who she ought to have much stronger boundaries with, and she doesn't because she's been told by everyone up until this point, you know, you just let people do what they do, and so suddenly she needs to figure out where her lines are and I think and I think that's kind of where it's all why it all goes wrong and how she ultimately ends up fixing it uh but yeah I mean 
it's interesting. And I guess that is an important part of growing up when you're a child. Obviously, your parents are into every aspect of your life. And then when mm-hmm. you hit, I see it with my own daughter now, as you hit, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, you, you know, these parts need to need to be shut down. That's just mm-hmm. normal and healthy, because if they're not, you're going to run into trouble later. Yeah. You know, the, the, the thing that really sticks and stuck in my head from the very first reading, but has even more power for, for me, this, this read through was the scene right at the beginning where, uh, where Tiffany's dad is like begging her to save the lambs, not telling her, but asking her, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and like trying in his own head to see the, you know, the child, his daughter, but then also his daughter, the witch, who is the one, the only one who's, who has, you know, who's able to do anything at this moment. And like then watching Tiffany know that and react to it herself is, was, was a very powerful scene for me. This, this read through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Justin? I mean, yeah, it's, I, I think it's like at this, I, um, like, I think when you're getting that age, it, it's, you need to have those like being able to get those boundaries is a huge part of like growing up and being able to form your own identity. There is, I think it's almost like funny, ironic how at the same time as like that Tiffany, like is desperately in need of like being able to put boundaries in her life. She also needs people to help her. more. She like needs people to be more involved because Witches are shit at teaching people things. Oh my god, yeah. They're like it, it's it's amazing that they still like pa- they actually pass institutional knowledge down. Um because like anagramma is the biggest failure point of the system. And the fact that the fact of it is is that like this child like I yeah I, I've reached that point now where like anybody under the age of twenty is a child to me now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've hit that I've hit that age. Um, but it's like this child has been handed a house and a social position within a community um, that is a huge amount of power with basically nobody actually checking whether she has that. And in fact, and in fact, with many people realizing that she does not, in fact, have the capability to take that position. Yeah. And planning done. on it's, it. It's done on purpose, isn't it? It's very deliberate yeah. decision she, by Grammy to... Yeah, she is done to either fail on purpose yeah. or to get herself fast-tracked on, like, an intensive witching course. Mm-hmm. as somebody who like very much dislikes like being told figure it out on your own for a lot of stuff mm-hmm. I'm like i'm somebody who who likes to like you know have instructions and know what to do my god i would like i would tear out my hair and i would like granny weatherwax would like granny granny weatherwax and like the witch's teaching style would have me crying every night yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, you know, I wonder if there's a British thing going on here because it does, 
it does kind of remind me a little bit of my memories of school that we did. There was a certain element of that of like, well, go and find out then. Go and figure it out for yourself. I remember, I mean, obviously... I'm not quite Terry Pratchett's generation, but I'm yeah. but I'm also not that far removed from it. And you know, I remember uh, there wa- there was that kind of thing of like, well, go and look it up in an encyclopedia. Yeah, go I, and find the dictionary. I like, go and I like go and, learning yeah. things on my yeah. own. Mm-hmm. But yeah. like, there are things here that are life and death. Right. It's, right. Yeah. It's imagine. T- Imagine teaching and saying a doctor like, "Oh, go look it up, figure it out." It's right. Just like, or uh, it reminds me of like you know, all the jokes about like, oh, you know, me- millennials are you know having to look up videos on how to do basic electronics and <laughs> their dishes and the laundry and stuff like that. And it's like because you do need to be, you know, there are many things that you do need to be taught. Like you can't just sh- shove somebody in the utility into a re- utility room and be like do the laundry. And I think we actually see a hint of this though, in, in the, the differing pedagogies between the different generations mm-hmm. of, of witches, because the, it, near the end, we see that one girl who's being trained by Miss Tick to be a witch finder, um, which, you know, is a funny word to read in the, in the context of this particular story, as opposed to certain other <laughs> uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett books. Yeah. Where, like, no, she has a training regimen and she has, like, th- specific things she's supposed to work on, like holding her breath underwater. You yeah. Know? Uh, so, and Miss Tick is, I think, younger. Like, she's sort of a, a middle generation between yeah. the the senior witches and the, the new witches. Yeah, and she's also teaching a specialty. Yeah. Which is... I, and And there's also, I feel like it's partly because there's a lot of young witches now. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like... You know, it feels like there's, you know, kind of a like generational attrition type of thing. Um, and, you know, honestly, honestly, the Wick, you know, we, we talked about the wizards a lot in terms of academia, but we're not that far off from, you know, academia in some ways with, you know, the tenured professors being like, oh, well, in our days, we, you know, you know, shoveled hill, you know, shoveled snow up the hill both ways. And, you know. And, you know, we figured it out on our own and, you know, you shouldn't, you should be able to figure yeah. all this out yourself. Yeah. It's a constant and ongoing discussion, especially in the, in, uh, in doctoral training, uh, for the last 15, 20 years that a lot of the newly minted PhDs are just being thrown into classrooms with no teaching training. Teaching right. for most people is a learned skill. It's not an aptitude. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, when I did my PhD, there was precious little training. It has to be said, I was just thrown. I was just thrown into stuff. I was thrown into the mm-hmm. lab, and the person who was already in the lab taught me how to use the equipment. Mm-hmm. I was expected to go and help out in labs, although I had gone to a different university, so I didn't know the labs <laughs> at, at this current university because I did my degree somewhere else. Um, so yeah, there was there is there was just that culture of just being mm-hmm. chucked into things and you pick it up from yeah. the person who is a little bit older than you. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of that that kind of um I guess it's that apprentice model kind of thing. And I guess that's what witching is, isn't it? It's an apprentice yeah. model. Uh but I guess kind they're kind of Miss Tick certainly is much more of a traditional teacher, isn't she? 
But see, you you just you just pass the you you know, you uh, you put the you put the grad students in charge of training the undergrads, and you put the postdocs in charge of training the grad students, and then nobody's yeah. in charge of training the postdocs. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, they should have exactly. learned already. Yeah, right. They should um, know by now. <laughs> I mean, I think that's it. Yeah, I think things have. It's different now. I think from another you know, another interesting thing with the with the witches stuff is to me at least in this book was that it reminded me a lot of this is going to be a weird poll but it reminded me a lot of taking scottish gaelic in at edinburgh because there were several times where they were like the teacher was like okay you've learned that that's that's not the right way but it's a good way to get to the right way so <laughs> to be an explanation you know the first two books a lot of what tiffany was told was like the witching is not using magic, witching is, you know, you, you doing, doing broadly speaking boffo, but then there's this whole extra layer of witching where you do in fact do, you know, magic, like calling down the sun on an anthropomorphic personification or taking uh, or, somebody's pain away or and taking somebody's pain yeah. away, which we'll see again. Yeah. Well, Granny, I mean, this was, you know, this is the thing in Equal Rights, isn't it? Granny does a big, whole, massive magic battle uh, with Cut Angle at the end of that. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, so she can do magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he says, you know, she. I think she might have beaten me if she'd had another five minutes kind of right. thing. She's yeah. like, you know, yeah, all right. She actually is pretty uh, badass, at, you know, what she does. But then Tiffany shows Anagramma how to prepare placebo root. <laughs> I, love, I love placebo root. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can use others, but it works better if you have the pr- actual placebo. <laughs> it's useful for all sorts of things. <laughs> Brilliant. I love uh, that. So, I want to pivot off you, of this. Oh, sorry, go uh, on. As you say, as you say, Bafo. I feel like Bafo yeah. itself is like a main theme of you, this book. You like, read my mind, Anna. That's exactly yeah. where yeah. I wanted to go next. Because it's 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 like both a running gag and like. And an actual thing, right? Like that focusing in on like how much people's lives and livelihoods are defined by like performing or performance or masking and kind of being what others expect you to be in in the position that you are in. That's literally just adulthood. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> because like, you know, part of being a witch is being witchy. And like Granny Weatherwax is sort of like extremely witchy just like naturally but then the the idea that like you know if you um if you can't get there on your own then like then store bought is, is fine, fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah but granny you know granny i think that's interesting because she started out with this whole kind of running gag of she doesn't look like a witch right you know her skin is flawless her nose is mm-hmm. uncrooked <laughs> Uh, you know, she she's she's she is not a warty skinned mm-hmm. cackly witch. She is just a stern old lady. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is it. Granny is the one person who doesn't have any boffo, right? Isn't it? She just is what she is. Yeah. And it's it's kind of everyone else has put on their little their little their masks or their they is using props or is doing you know doing whatever they need to do granny is just like no this is just me 
I flashed back a few times in this too to the the scene that she flashes back to. I think in Carpe Jugulum, with with her and Young Rid Kelly, and thinking I should have let him. I think pa- that was catch Lords me. and Ladies, actually. Oh, was that Lords and Ladies? Yeah, I think it is Lords and Ladies. Uh, yes, it is with the unicorn and all that. It is yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, it is. God, there's such beautiful moments. <laughs> yeah, where she she can see the other timeline. She mm-hmm. briefly, yeah, she's hearing the other timeline. But sorry, back to Bafo. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it just it leads us into mistreason, doesn't it? Because she is such a complicated, layered character. She has all this. She kind of comes. She she has set up this persona of being this very traditional wicked witch, very scary. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got demons in the cellar. She, She's, yeah. she's got skulls. She's got cobwebs. She's got the whole works. And then you kind of talk to her a bit more or, you know, you learn more about her. And she, you realise that, that a lot of that is just a thing she's putting on. But then you kind of get a bit further down and you think she is so manipulative. She is incredibly manipulative. Everything she does is about manipulating people. Mm-hmm. And we kind of start to like her because you kind of can't avoid it just because of the way, she, yeah. you know, the way Terry Pratchett has written her. But there's a bit of me going, God, this character, she's awful. She's really very deeply unpleasant in a sort of palatable way. And she doesn't seem <laughs> to like the people in her setting. No, she, yeah. no, she's, she just, she it just exists to manipulate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, she, you know, it's it's all just power games, and her always coming out on top, even up and up to the point of attending her own funeral. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, because she, you know, she wants to see what everyone is saying about her. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of implied that all witches do that, but still, it just. Uh, and then that whole business with the grave. And yeah, it was the grave. Like, it was the grave thing that got yeah. me. Where like it seems like the attending your own own funeral. It seems like a thing that both witches and wizards do. Like if you have foreknowledge mm. of when your death is, then you might you might as well throw one big party before the end. But um, <laughs> yeah. but like the thing where she's like you know walking into her own grave and lying down in it mm. and like you know that that's all very dramatic. But the, and then like stopping the clock and pretending that she's dead, just so, yeah. that, just so that you can you know final curtain or whatever with the villagers mm. maintain the yeah. mystique to the end. Yeah, yeah. As, and you know, just using people's eyes and using people's ears without mm-hmm. their consent or knowledge, or their without their knowledge. A lot of the time, even yeah. you know, a lot of the time, mm. Tiffany is like, I'm not even sure if she's in my head, and you just think, God, yeah. that's that's really like you are. Yeah, you saw, I sort of like you just because the way you've been written, but you're really, really horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Justin, go on. Oh, I, I like just on this whole thing. I mean, one word, kayfabe. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, it, it's, I, this is just because I'm coming off of having a very long discussion with somebody about like, Miss Treason is, sorry, for, 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 for reference, because I, I have brain rotted, kayfabe is the term for the, fiction that is created of wrestling um of the 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 differentiation between the person playing a character 
in a show and the and the actual perform the actual performance just because there is such a weird thin line there and how i mean in all of our lives we per- we perform depending on the community we are in and the role that we are playing i mean i like there are parts of there are parts of my life that i accentuate when I am talking on a podcast and there are parts of my life that I don't talk about when I'm going on a podcast. Um, and we create that both intentionally and unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, witching is witching to create a, I, it is creating a power structure. That is, that is the thing even more so than wizards. Yeah. Wizards are often of their ivory tower doing their own thing. But witches are intentionally creating a power structure that is ostensibly to help people. <laughs> and I mean, there isn't a lot of self, there, there isn't a lot of self-examination that witches do over why they're doing it, but I mean, it is, they are helping people uh, on some level, but they are also exerting power over communities. And to do that, you have people from, I mean, doing it in different ways. Like Danny Ogg is just, being a I is much more of a community leader um through both through sheer marriage. pop through sheer <laughs> population numbers as well as just like you know um tyrannical like tyrannical relationships uh like you know has like like through through like numbers and and breeding has like assumed control of a community i mean she's also like you know a good per- like she helps people out and stuff but like and whereas like granny weatherwax has there is a there is a mystique that she has crafted mm-hmm. that like she never has to do she doesn't intentionally have to do a lot of the witchy things she but she does act as you know she lets stories cre- are be created about her and she never denies them but she is also wielding control over both the community that she administers as well as the witching community at large yeah and miss treason has decided that i mean whereas like some like you know i just to silly thing of like you know if granny weatherwax is just like you know the ideal witch who's just like going off of it on the like you know the mystique and charisma miss treason is the fucking undertaker who is just (laughs) like i am going to i'm gonna go all out on the show so that i can create this so that i can create this fiction that then blends with this reality here i always also keep wondering whether Miss Treason was a different sort of witch when she was younger. Hmm. Um, yeah. Whether, like, a lot of the, whether some of what she's, like, what she is now is, has been built up, you know, during her prolonged old age. You know, for instance, like, you know, the the image of her with her, like, bandaged eyes and, like, you know, uh, a bird on each shoulder is, like, it's a very specific image. Mm-hmm. And especially since she's, di- you know, she's dispensing justice. So the, the like, the concept of, like, blind justice um, is a very, mm-hmm. it's very specific. Um, and I wonder yeah. whether she, once she started to go blind, like, played into these certain, 
like tropes. Yeah, because she's too, she's not physically able to like go around her steading anymore. Right. Yeah, transitioning from maiden to mother to crone, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's maiden, mother, crone, and Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> the other one. Yeah. yeah the other one. And yeah. the other one. That's right. Yeah. We want to do other other themes. We, I've got some stuff here that, yeah. So, so if we're thinking about other themes too, um, I think one of them for me is responsibility and mistakes. And we kind of have two sides of that here. There's kind of the the obvious side, which is the you know you have to you have to put things right after you make a mistake. So Tiffany, it was Tiffany's responsibility to you know resolve things with the wintersmith at the end of the summer or at the end of the winter, and and she's also you know really you know puts in some really hard work helping all the people survive the awful winter that she's kind of responsible for. But there's also the aspect of like the responsibility to prevent others from making mistakes. Both both like and and we see a few different examples of that. So we've had the example of Miss Treason not being good at that. That she you know she brings Tiffany to the Dark Morris without telling her what it is, um, what's going on, what the consequences might be for disrupting it. She just kind of barks a bunch of orders and expects to be obeyed. She's not used to having an assistant last that long is the right, problem. Right, right. But like, yeah. but she like doesn't inform Tiffany about what's happening. And so, you know, and leads the, leaves the door open for something bad to happen. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, we've got Tiffany actually taking that responsibility in terms of the, the anagramma. Um, plot line that like first she first like even though she hates anagramma <laughs> and kind of a little part of her wants anagramma to fail i'm pretty sure but she first you know leaves her all the information that she would need to actually succeed by writing down you know, three pieces of paper writing down everything mm-hmm. that's happening in the setting and what you know everything that anagramma needs to know to succeed and then after that is you know chucked by Mrs. Earwig as part of tidying up. Um, she, you know, works with Anagramma directly and also mobilizes all of the other young um, witches in training to also help Anagramma, despite the fact that they all hate her in order to, like, you know, prevent, prevent like, actual, you know, consequences happening to the setting right. from Anagramma being terrible. Right, because the reason Miss Tick knew she was a witch was because she didn't say, what can somebody do about this? She said, what do I need to do about this? Yeah. Yeah, Tiffany, that is Tiffany's character, isn't it? She is proactive, always. Yeah. It's, it's. I mean, I think actually one of the things that I like about this is that anagramma becomes slightly more fleshed out. Yeah, yeah. Because anagramma has just been a bit of a joke up until now, and... You know, she is that, she's been looked at a bit, she's been treated a bit scornfully as kind of the the sort of the posh kid who's over-educated but doesn't really know anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and and I wonder if Terry Pratchett didn't at this point think maybe I'm maybe I haven't really been fair to Anna Grammer <laughs> like entirely up until this point, and so he kind of he he humanizes her a little bit, and we have these nice moments with her and Tiffany where we think, oh okay, she's gonna she, maybe she'll be well, she, all right. She gets to grow up too. Tiffany's growing up, yeah. but Anna Grammer gets to grow up as well. I forget what exactly what age she is relative to Tiffany, but she's a few years older. And mm. like, you know, yeah. you could definitely see, you know, her growing up and maturing and she's kind of on a, a fast track here. Um, mm. But, mm. you know, it's nice that she gets to grow up and, and change. And you do sort of think at the end, actually, yeah, Anagram is going to be fine. Yeah. Right? Because she knows how to manipulate people, <laughs> which is probably <laughs> nine tenths of witchcraft. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Headology. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did exactly. like the, I liked the little thing with how Terry portrays Nanny as being just as good at headology as Granny. It's just that her headology is like a really, really good psychologist. She's really, really good at getting you to talk and getting you to keep talking and getting you to solve your own problems by talking to her. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. She, yeah. She listens at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah. The, the the recurring like ham sandwich gag just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I also I like the introduction of Nanny Og here, partly because it's nice to ha- it's nice for Tiffany to have somebody who's in a you know place of authority who she can actually talk to and trust in a way that she hasn't really been able to. She's comfortable with Nanny Og in a way that she hasn't been with even like Miss Level. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I think. Yeah, I, Nanny Og is sort of. I, I think probably my favorite. Like, I, I like her more than Granny Weatherwax. Mm-hmm. As like, she. I, part of that is because she's had. I, I would imagine part of it is at least because she's had children, but like, mm. is not quite as distant to Tiffany. Yeah. But Granny wants to be. She doesn't know how, I think. Yeah. You know, the, the whole the whole through line with the oak tree, really very... And Granny never says anything directly, you know, in the, Tiffany calls that out at one point. Um, but, you know, the, the whole thing where, like, she makes the oak tree sprout and then, you know, half a scene later, Granny comes out from behind a tree and, like, shields it from the weather. Yeah. And, you know, and then has continued to shield it and like build all sorts of defenses around it, you know, and, and eventually she's, you know, Tiffany's like, it's just one tree. And Granny's like, well, you have to start small with oak trees. And so it's very clear that like she sees if you're going to be as strong as Granny, you need like it has to happen through that whole growing up process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a metaphor for her protecting Tiffany, right? Mm hmm. She does the same for Tiffany. She protects Tiffany. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I like I like the fact actually here that Tiffany starts this story by essentially making a mistake, although we can argue about that because she doesn't really know what's going on. She hasn't been given the information. Mm-hmm. But it's both Granny and Nanny in different ways, but they both kind of they 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 kind of pull her aside, but they don't judge her. Neither of them judges her. Mm-hmm. They both, they offer support and help and they look after her and they make sure she's not in danger. Mm-hmm. At n- neither of them ever kind of gets angry with her about what she's done or 
tells her she shouldn't have done it. Miss Treason does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But those two are just like, well, this is interesting, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, they go about it in very different ways, of course, because N- Nanny is just like, oh, excellent ham sandwiches. <laughs> Whereas yeah. Granny is, you know, Granny. But but nevertheless, at no point do they, at any point, do they kind of give Tiffany a hard time about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're supporting her the whole way. How perfect is it that Tiffany, the girl who read the dictionary front to back because she didn't know you weren't supposed to do that, now has a universal translator in her head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's very useful. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, two minds about Dr. Sensibility Puzzle. (laughs) I'm kind of wondering (laughs) if that was actual Greek on the page too. Like, is it, is it, what what did it sound like in the uh, audiobook Ooh, when she speaks you know, Greek to the? Uh, I didn't. I, didn't um, I, I don't know. As somebody who doesn't like speak Greek or, or, or who does not who who does not give a shit about dead languages, uh, like ancient Greek or anything, um, it sounded like garbage Latin. <laughs> Probably was. <laughs> it sounded like it's, I mean, I'm I I'm sure Terry, but it sounds like dog Latin that like fantasy authors use. Yeah, I I mean, also at this moment, uh, props to Stephen Briggs for because yeah. there are a lot of characters in this book. I mean, it's it's packed, mm-hmm. isn't it? How how he keeps track of all the different accents <laughs> and voices, I don't know, but he does an astonishing job, especially since he's got to go all the way, you know, from from the Feagles. Uh, speaking in broad Scottish accents all the way to they're like varying witches who all sound completely different. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. I don't know how he does it. Like, I don't know how he did it. <laughs> Kept them all clear in his head. And he does it for every yeah. single book too. Yeah, but it yeah. feels particularly impressive in this book because I think just because there are so many characters that he's got to flip between all the time. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it sounds like, uh, so I, I Googled it and uh, ended up on the archive of alt.books.pratchett, uh, which is a fun <laughs> callback to our previous show, uh, or to, to, the, to the, uh, the gang's previous show. Um, and it looks like it was basically a transliteration. Like he picked Greek words that sounded like what he was trying to say in, <laughs> in English. So it's, it's Ephibian, not Greek. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. I'm surprised, actually, a little bit that we didn't get the gods playing dice in in this one, since it very much feels like there was some sort of spectator sport going on with the gods. I mean, I think I think Terry sort of. Do- <laughs> I, it feels like Terry sort of done with the gods, or at least like the the eye, like blind Io, and yeah, like I he's got like he's got uh, Anoya, but like <laughs> who used yeah. to be a volcano god. With- yeah, but the the weather god used to keep raining on a lava. Yeah. That's what men do; they rain on your lava. Um, <laughs> she's so great. I love yeah. her yeah, so it, much. It sort of feels like the 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 like the classical gods are sort of done. Mm. Yeah, or at least that's the vibe I get. They learned their lesson when Cohen tried to blow them up. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of that was kind of the last gasp of the the gods on Cory Celeste, wasn't it? For the series, mm-hmm. I always, I always felt like the gods were a kind of a, you know, they're, they're a joke on the whole kind of role playing. Mm-hmm. Thing, they? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they are. Yeah. 
and I and I think he wanted to get away from that. Probably I wanted to stay away from it from that joke for the witches book for these books anyway these Tiffany yeah. books because it's also so it's I also think, something yeah. that I think would be a little bit more hit and miss for a YA audience who hasn't read the rest of the books too. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, while we're here, should we talk a little bit about the B plot uh, with Roland and the uh, '80s hero training montage? Oh yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I re- I really like the kind of running plot of Roland's isolation slash imprisonment, um, which I didn't really get into the summary, but it it plays interestingly with a lot of tropes. I feel like um, because he's sort of like the fair maiden trapped in the tower. Um, waiting for a rescue, like that. That it seems like he's sort of trapped in the tower, waiting for Tiffany to come back and fix things. But that's gender swapped, obviously. And also, he's not actually trapped. Um, it's that he's retreated to a defensible position to yeah. await to await rescue of some sort, and has carefully evaluated and assessed his options. And like he has all of his escape routes, but you know. But he's also away from his aunts. It's it's such an interesting thread. Yeah, it really. I mean, it's catnip for me because it's it, it's it's a boy in a like I, I would say like it's a boy in a princess coated plot. Yeah, <laughs> which which is catnip to me. Um, like you know, he gets he gets to be the, the like he's the bookish hero, and I I really I really enjoyed those and the and the pairing of him with the the Feagles is very fun. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know that sort of leads us then to one final thing that we should talk about in the themes and tropes, which is narrativium slash stories, uh, because there's all of these rules that he has to follow to go mm-hmm. into and out of the underworld. Mm-hmm. And there's the rules of the story that Tiffany has to follow, you know, and the rules that the, the, the story imposes upon her, you know, up to and including the, the fish, but you know, they're all mishmashed up, but there's still these. It's usually a salmon. Yeah. <laughs> the story beats that everybody has to hit. I, you know, I always love those things in his work because you, you are reminded that he knew all of these stories <laughs> and he had read every single one of them and knew them inside out. And when he is playing with these ideas and using little bits of them, it's not because he's only sort of half remembered a bit. It's because he's very consciously and deliberately, you know, taking something and playing with it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just very skilled it's just that that kind of um, taking bits of fairy tales and and you know pulling out the important parts from them. He's kit bashing fairy tales. Yeah, I mean it. Just yeah, I mean the whole fish. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a trope. It is such a trope, isn't it? That the fish has the magic ring in it. Yeah. I mean, how many? That's in so many stories. <laughs> Granny's just like, yeah, traditionally it's a salmon. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, it is. Normally it is, you're right. <laughs> What'd you find it in? A pike. Oh, that's a little too muddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then that whole thing with um oh goodness, what is Tiffany's brother called? It's Wentworth. Thank you. Wentworth I could that's I should have known that. Uh Wentworth, um, you know, and he's he's 
caught this fish and it's like it's at least 30 pounds 25 it's at least 40 pounds it's 50 pounds you know even though she has a complex relationship with him as all siblings do she puts her finger on the scale where nobody can see it mm-hmm. yeah yeah because yeah, that's a nice moment you know even little personal stories are important yeah uh, and it's nice that he can say more than one a sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, and and I really because she because he's getting close to the age that Tiffany was in We Free Men too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one of the things that I also really like with Roland um, and the fact that he's a bookish hero is that um, I love the the aspect where he you know he. Unlike the unlike the Feagles, he actually brings money to pay the ferryman, but he doesn't yeah. think about the return trip. <laughs> I, oh God, that's my favorite part of that. Yeah, and it's like yeah, you need you need two coins, and it's like that's one way. <laughs> but the, but then also Death Soul, like oh no, not you again to the yeah. Feagles. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> which the- which then also makes potentially their story about being from the last world true question mark oh well yeah. that's it isn't it they're, they're kind of yeah well we're we're already dead so right. we could just go in and out yeah as much as we like yeah yeah <laughs> and, and then you know the solution is oh well i guess we'll just stay <laughs> no, 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 yeah, yeah, so I feel like we are spreading all over the place on this one, but, um, yeah, any, any, yeah, should we pull out some buttons? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, so when they are in the underworld, they, they encounter the bogles, which are creatures you cannot see, um, I can't, I, I do not know how they're spelled, uh, but or how it's spelled in the book, but uh, they're um, creatures that cannot be seen unless you close your eyes, and then they look like scribbles, um, and they eat the memories and thoughts of people who are lost in the underworld. And I don't know. This is part of this is because um, Anna and I, less than forty eight hours ago, just recorded an episode about about person of interest and about how like the loss of memory like that that cognitive loss is just so heartbreaking roland's anger and indignity at these creatures is like one of my favorite bits of the book and it 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 feels like one of those things that terry is personally very offended and angry at which yeah knowing what's going on (laughs) yeah well but, but we do need to stress he wasn't diagnosed until about a year after this book came out. Yeah. Okay. And of course he's he's obviously writing this book well before that, because you it takes time to write a book, even for Terry. Yeah, yeah. yeah obviously, <laughs> so, yeah. So he He might have been yeah. seeing the first stages because I think when yeah. he announced when he announced his diagnosis, there was something where he said that like, you know, previously he'd been diagno- diagnosed with just like regular age related memory loss mm. and until they realized that it was something something more sinister but yeah, I, I'm, so I think he must yeah. have been i think he must have been starting to feel you know the effects of his illness um even if he didn't have the diagnosis yet because i my button is 
another one that is not the same, but it is very similar. Your your own brain ought to have the decency to be on your side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a line from Tiffany. Mind you, haven't, haven't we all thought that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, as somebody who is, you know, has a chronic depression and anxiety, that's a fucking move. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah that too. It's like, and then also, you know, the things that, that my wife and I have been reading as we get ready to have a teenager in the house, um, you know, a lot of the times adolescents will do things and the reason that they get angry after doing them is not because they're angry at you for getting angry at them it's because they're angry at themselves for doing those things because sometimes their brain does things and it's not you know fully under their control and it's just a chemical thing you know yeah i mean which which brings us back to tiffany doesn't it because this whole business of just randomly doing something in the dance mm-hmm. stepping into the dance that's that's very un tiffany mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. up until now, she has thought through every single action, mm-hmm. carefully calculated the most logical thing to do, and then done it. Yeah. Right, you know, right from the beginning of going to to find the right frying pan to, right. to hit the monster. Where were her third river. thoughts? Yeah. Right. E- exactly. And this time, she just stepped into the dance mm-hmm. without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like it's that line, isn't it? I pulled it out. No, you know, which didn't do things because they seemed like a good idea at the time. That was practically cackling, you know. So yeah. she she is like you say, she's angry with herself for for just acting on her own impulse yeah. instead of thinking about what she ought to have been doing. I'm realizing yeah. that it, it that kind of feels like um, like the first time you do something really really dumb just because of your hormones. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and we've got a character who's turning 13. Um, so that seems pretty, pretty apt. Like, you know, the first time you do something and you're like, wow, that was like, in retrospect, you're like, wow, I, that was really, really dumb. I have no idea what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I plead the fifth on all, all, all accusations. <laughs> <laughs> and it's painful for Tiffany because she is very self-aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's incredibly self-aware. So she spends, whereas some people might just do something stupid and then just go, okay, I did a stupid thing and put it aside. Tiffany mm-hmm. cannot do that. Right. You know, she is going to go over that again and again and again. That is not how I'm supposed to behave. That is not who I am. That is not how a witch is supposed to behave. Yeah. You know, it's hard for her to come to terms with this thing that she's done. Yeah. Because she she absolutely knows the consequences. Well, she she sees the unfolding consequences, and and whether or not it is her fault, she feels like it's her fault. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one that I pulled just because you know talking about memes, uh, you could say it was unfair, and that was true. But the universe didn't care because it didn't know what fair meant, which reminds me a lot of that. You know, that sign can't stop me because I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, also more seriously, like, yeah, you know, you can you can complain about things not being fair, but ultimately things happen and you deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. The universe is not fair. I say that a lot here. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't get me very far. (laughs) Yeah. That's a common parenting line, I think. (laughs) Not fair, Molly. I'm afraid things are not fair. (laughs) It's not fair. You're right. It's not. (laughs) 
it's funny, isn't it, how how humans have this very strong built-in concept of what is fair mm-hmm. and what isn't fair. And then we spend we spend all this time going, Yeah, the world isn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we are we are creatures that we are creatures that have been raised to to believe in justice. Um, <laughs> There's that, no justice. Un, un, yeah. <laughs> Just well, me. Now we're back to Hogfather. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Grind it down when you find one atom of justice. Yeah. I don't know. I saw. I I I wish we got at least one more death book. That that's that's just a yeah. random thought I've had. It's just like I I get we get it sprinkled a lot, and I think I think it's. I think part of that is that Terry is, I think, a little less focused on metaphysics right now mm-hmm. um, here. And he's he's focused much more on the ideas of people and communities. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just it, like I, it's like I wish we had one at least one more like death ish book. Yeah, Terry very much feels very much to be like somebody who, you know, if they were in a band and the people were like, shut up and play the hits, he'd like take a long drag on the cigarette, lean into the microphone and say, (laughs) no. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not like I've ever, it's like I haven't not enjoyed a book in probably like like a year of entries on this podcast. But Mm -hmm. it's like I'm not complaining. It's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know now, now thirty five books in, you get why we Discworld people return to the books that we love over <laughs> yes. and over and over again, so yeah. that we can give you know Grandfather Death a big bony hug. <laughs> is is Thief of Thief of Time is considered a death book, right? I think it is. It's a it's technically a death. Yeah. Book. I'm, I'm sure it's, it's a in. Susan book mm-hmm. because we've got three yes. Susan books, and they're. They're related to the death books because Susan is related to death, but but it's a Susan yeah. book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's the she's the one, and and it's like her knife edge relationship to the universe that's driving a lot mm-hmm. of Thief of Time. Yeah, I mean, I think in fairness, you he had he's twice he had twice done the plot of what happened if death stopped. Right. doing death oh yeah right. and there is you know he wasn't it was he was pushing his luck to do that twice he wasn't going to get away with it a third time oh certainly yeah and then and then hogfather <laughs> is what if death took on a side job yeah i mean yeah death and after, to be... you've kind of exhausted it then haven't you what else is he gonna do <laughs> could have been the soul cake duck yes. <laughs> <laughs> quack <laughs> You know, I I was looking that up because I always think of the soul cake duck as being Easter, right? Yeah, but it isn't. I don't think it's a winter. It's it's a winter. Day. It's Halloween. The soul cake duck is equivalent to Halloween. Interesting, a, huh? Oh, so it's the great I, pumpkin. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I think I think I think so. I think. Yeah, because I think you think of the soul cake duck as being an Easter thing, but I think it. I think if you look on the calendars, it falls. Yes, curiously, also marks the start of duck hunting season. <laughs> yes, yeah. So it's yes, it's not a, it's not a, an Easter analog. <laughs> the soul cake yeah. duck is rumored to be paranoid beyond sanity and generally in a very bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel kidship with this creature. <laughs> I see. Okay. See now I want just a short story that has, um, you know, from the from the like group of 
homeless guys in in Ankh Morpork. Yeah. There's the duck the duck man, right? Who has the duck on his head. <laughs> yeah. I just want a short story that's what a, duck? A, a, a crossover with him and the soul cake duck in some way. Probably the soul cake duck's greatest acolyte because the soul cake duck just doesn't want to be noticed and shot and eaten. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, picking up any favorite parts, uh, et cetera, that we didn't talk about yet because we're approaching the two hour mark. Um, yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Shall I go? Sure. I, I uh, yeah. I like the the discussion of the seasons. So this thing, the year is round. The wheel of the world must spin. That is why up here they dance the dark, Morris, to balance it. They welcome the winter because of the new summer deep inside it. Yeah. Which I just, I love that idea. I love the idea that the summer is inside the winter. Yeah. That's just a really beautiful idea. I mean, it's a deeply, it's a pagan idea, isn't it? It's it's not. I am trying, this is like, if... Listeners, if you can think of a if, if you can think of an instance of this, and don't mention the Dresden Files to me. I've already read those, uh, but <laughs> I'm wondering if there's like the, just because like the summer and the summer and winter. I wonder, like, can you think of anything where summer is portrayed as like the sort of malevolent force as opposed to winter? Um, is, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of this because I'm like there's. Because I, 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 this was just a thing that like started rattling around in it, but, like like the Wintersmith isn't malevolent in it; he's just alien, right? But but it was a thing of like how they're usually. Pre- oh, I don't know that thing about the death. We know everyone will be dead. Yes, and then yeah. there will be no more death. Right, that's pretty malevolent. Yeah. <laughs> but he does, but he fundamentally doesn't understand. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, it was like, yeah. Oh, I can make snowmen. Sure, if you yeah. want people moving around, I can make them. Uh, oh that lovely bit where one of the little kids goes can you take us flying (laughs) yeah which is just a little a side bet to the raymond briggs snowman which is it's just thrown away you know (laughs) (laughs) can you take us flying no (laughs) so justin the main thing that comes to mind to me would be in in stuff with the fae so Titania is generally associated with summer, and Titania is generally not portrayed as being good. Yeah, yeah. I it's like it's one of those things where it's like I I think it's just like it's a cultural concept we have yeah. that like summer saves us from the winter. Um, and this is just this this just got rattling around in my head because I I was driving like for two hours up the peninsula yesterday. Yeah, um, and it was just like. Hmm. Uh, but I, I also if you could come up with like good good fic like give me give well, me book book wrecks. Yeah. I think that though like I think the point there is that it it's not yeah. they're both good and bad. Both right. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. like the summer you know, the summer lady gives Tiffany the vision of what would happen if she was the only one in charge, which right. is just a you know, a dead desert. You know, the, just the dead desert of heat rather than the dead desert of cold. Mm-hmm. To be like, no, I'm you know, I'm not, in fact, you know, the kind good one like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a it's a very northern latitude. Yeah, idea though, isn't it? If you it, you know, it's culturally it is it is in a particular place on Earth. If you lived somewhere near the equator, you wouldn't have this concept of 
uh, when you know needing winter to balance summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although you know, then then I think you would get into other other like cyclical weather things and stuff like that. Yeah. Potentially. Let's um, see some dry season. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite bits is the and this is I mean it's one of the scenes that's like funny but but also just just a great scene um when anagramma comes out of the house with her scary witch costume because of course anagramma anagramma's approach to how to be a witch has previously been by the things to make me a witch mm-hmm. um to a certain degree and now she has a new catalog to order from and so she <laughs> she runs out of the house like you know, in every piece of witch garb that can be purchased from Bafo. And and it's like it both is hilarious to have like the the scary witch costume coming out, but then also like it this is what gives her the mystique with the villagers is that they're like, oh well, you know, she's basically the incredible Hulk, right? Like, you know, if <laughs> yeah. you make her angry, she'll turn into the scary witch. It's great. I l- I love that scene. I also love Horace. Yes, Ho- Horace is just yeah. Um, I'm Aaron. Aaron DM'd me about this a couple days ago, and um, the answer I gave uh, between which do you like more, Horace or you, uh, is you because oh my <laughs> gosh, I I love the idea that it's like uh, Tiffany extending this thing of like. I think you, you know, it's like I think you, I think you need somebody around. Yeah, and and, and Granny being like, no, <laughs> um, and dumping the cat outside, and then Tiffany doing like the dar- the narrative thing of like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hide in the bush to see. Like to to see if 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 Granny like does the whole thing where cats pawing at the door. Okay, I'll let you in. It's like, oh, she does have a heart. And Granny Weatherwax is right around you, just like, what you waiting around for? This <laughs> <laughs> is so Granny. But by the end of that relationship, it has big um, dads who didn't want pets energy. Right. Oh, my God. oh yeah. Where <laughs> the the scene where Mystic is, you know, like, oh yeah, staying at staying at. Yeah, you know, with Granny Weatherwax, and I can smell chicken. Something's good. Co- something good's coming, and the chicken is God. only for the cat. The <laughs> the oh god the the fucking the fucking like cornucopia chickens. <laughs> um, as this is this is very too real for me because um my my parents have my, my parents have moved up to the mountains and they've got like a big place up there now and they started adopting chickens and every time i go up there to visit them on a holiday there are more chickens <laughs> <laughs> when i visited up there there were eight and a rooster and i'm like you haven't increased like where are they coming from <laughs> <laughs> well, if they've got a rooster, that explains where some of them are probably coming from. <laughs> Apparently, there are ways to make sure that doesn't happen. I don't. I I, I choose not to ask because, frankly, I don't want to know. <laughs> I've just been told that they haven't had any incidents of that. I also liked the way Miss Tick has been seeding the areas that she visits that are less witch friendly to make her escapes 
not only easy but comfortable. Yeah, uh, up <laughs> yeah. to and in, in, in uh, including the uh, the mystic phrase that she has inserted in the the handbook of witch finding, which is, "It is a pity I am an ass." <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the the witch the the witch finding for dummies thing. Yeah. Right. God. Yeah. It's, like, it's very okay. important that you give them a very comfortable bed and a really good <laughs> meal. Uh, like a strong broth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um and then the and then using a useless knot. <laughs> yes. God. And actually I I've, I've just gone my brain has just gone back to Horace. Mm. Which because I I I feel I sort of feel like Terry Pratchett almost wrote three entire books just so that he could do the joke that blue cheeses hum a bit. <laughs> which is the which is where it pays off in this book, isn't it? Yeah. Aye, they do hum a bit. Like I feel like he just sort of wrote, basically wrote, wrote the whole Horace thing just so that he could do that one line, which <laughs> you've got to admire. Really. <laughs> Is that a reference to something then that I just like don't know? Oh, maybe because <laughs> it's just it's just this it's just a pun that hum has two meanings. Maybe that's a British expression. I think it yeah, is. it might be. Oh, okay. All right. Let me. Sorry. Yeah, so so explain. Okay. Explain. Yeah, so hum so hum obviously means to hum, you know, musically. Mm-hmm. But also it's a phrase that means it, it's something smells. Oh. It hums a bit. It smells. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I just yeah, so I this is it. You know, he's done this whole thing about the cheese trying to sing <laughs> hum. Just so that it could get the why they do hum a bit. Yeah, wow saying. okay so yeah, okay. because the only the only association i have for the word hum is the sound you make with your mouth right mm-hmm. no no it also means to smell you know oh, oh those socks hum a bit that's yeah that's great <laughs> i love that thank thank you for being our captive brit <laughs> very welcome yeah our cultural our cultural translator yes yes <laughs> Sorry, I just did. I for the, didn't for the didn't weird exotic, yeah. for the weird foreign exotic <laughs> culture of England. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember what was the. Oh God, it, it was in Bad Pod where we made the joke about that J. Michael Straczynski treated England like other sci-fi shows treat Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there's probably a million other things we could highlight too. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. highlight bits that we think have stood up, have stood up well to time? I mean, we're, I mean, of course, we're, we're getting into the zone where, like, you know, this wasn't published that long ago. Yeah. I was yeah. an adult when this was published. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's 2006, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And, and yeah, he was, was diagnosed in 2007. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I would say, I would say perfect. It, it, it is, like, the, book, the entire book has aged well. It's only been... 16 years <laughs> yeah i mean i have yeah, relatives I mean, who were younger than that but we're not gonna go there but yeah it's sort of when you say it like that it sounds like it's terrifying right time. right <laughs> i mean 16 years is half my life but that's <laughs> yeah also the the cat the cat who was the cat who was crawling up into my lap um using way too much claw is 18. So my cat is older than this book. So I think <laughs> this is the first book that it was published at the time that I had been recommended Pratchett in my life. 
Wow. Interesting. That, so it's like I think I, I think I was a bit like yeah because I, I yeah that's that would have been yeah I would have been yeah this is about when people would have started recommending me Pratchett hmm. and I would have been overwhelmed by the number of choices. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to start at the beginning. That's how I guess that's how you <laughs> yeah yeah the, the the way that Tiffany starts to push back I think at the we we've talked a lot about the the instruction. No, I don't think you've talked about this. Oh, so yeah, the the thing that that really poked out at me was was when Granny and and uh, Tiffany are waiting, I guess, for Anagramma to show up, uh, and Granny says, "You didn't do a bad job at the funeral." I'll say that, and Tiffany says, "I did a good job," and Granny says, "That's what I said," and Tiffany's like, "No, you didn't." Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if that's sort of the pivot point where where Granny starts to realize how important like being a human being to <laughs> Tiffany is. Yeah, yeah. I also really like Anagramma's redemption arc. Um, mm. That I, I think it meshes up well with my reading of her from Hatful of Sky, which is that she was sort of in some ways an accidental bully out of just being extremely not self aware and not tuned into tuned into the needs of others and yeah. like you know just, just sort of just interject here i think that a lot of that was probably just modeling after the adult that she was spending a lot of time right with. right yeah. right right and but i really love how tiffany and the other young witches pull together to help her despite despite their dislike of her mm-hmm. um and their mis- and everybody has misgivings about helping anagramma but also but also I like that it's not just that they pull through and help it's also that they they make it very clear to Anagramma that they are doing her a favor um mm-hmm. and well they're willing to help her they demand her respect in return yeah she's you know she's like well can you just tell everybody that I'm teaching you things and Tiffany's like mm, no no yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Um, and I really, I really, really like that because it's, you know, it's not only, you know, reaching out and helping somebody and giving them a second chance to become a better person. It's, you know, as Kat, as you said, it's establishing a boundary that they're not going to help her if she treats mm. them like crap. And also, somebody really needs to evaluate her for sleep apnea. Like... <laughs> Oh, that snoring. Oh, yeah. Yes. Because he describes yeah. how she stops breathing. Yeah. That's not good. I I think the thing, you know, in the context of the Me Too movement and all of that, I think the thing that stands up for me is that depiction of a woman being drawn in by a character being very complimentary. You know, this kind of powerful male character who is then, you know, making the snowflakes in her image, making icebergs in her image, making uh, roses out of ice for her. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that idea of a much older, more powerful male uh, showering gifts on a young woman. Mm -hmm. and, um, And she is drawn into that because why wouldn't she be? And you know it's ca- it's a very cautionary tale, isn't it, of the dangers of that, and and how you need to be aware of of how problematic that could be. Yeah, you know, someone throwing gifts and attention at you is not 
necessarily uh they're not necessarily doing it because because they you know it doesn't make you special to them right if you see what i mean mm. it's just you're just their current interests sort of thing um it's yeah it's that it's a very it's a very cautionary tale isn't it and she ends up in what is i think a, a metaphor for a very abusive relationship right everything is frozen that a lot of damage is being done to everyone all around not just tiffany nothing can move forward everything is isolated she's cut off she's physically literally cut off mm-hmm. um and in the end it has to come from her mm-hmm. she is the one that has to break that connection and say this has to stop yeah Yeah. and i think it's very interesting that the one of the pivot points is the death of the lambs you know that's the thing that tips it over in the end all the people are suffering all around her but when the lambs start dying that's when tiffany says no and I just sort of think it's just a, such a powerful metaphor for getting out of an abusive relationship and stepping away from it and moving forwards then. Yeah. And I, I I think that the way Nanny also talks to her about, you know, those, as you mentioned earlier in the recording, boundary settings, um, mm. you know, where she's like, well, you know, in this specific case where we're dealing with a, you know, with a metaphorical personification this is bad, but also generally speaking, when you're a little bit older, this is also the way you should deal with relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, just before we get to the, the cleanup bits, I do want to touch on some of the perceptions that folks, some people seem to have with this book with, especially with blaming Tiffany for setting these things in motion, which is, Weird because I don't think there's any blame. Like I, right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even blame the Wintersmith because the Wintersmith is an alien entity that is acting on narrative thing. Like the, it is doing a bad thing, but I, I think it's the same as cursing a storm. Right. Right. Uh, the universe doesn't know what fair is. The universe doesn't know what a healthy relationship is either. Right. Yeah. I think. I mean, I've sort of touched on this, but I think the problem is that Tiffany has been kind of set up for this to happen. Yeah. You know, she has had all of these people not explaining things to her properly and overstepping her boundaries, getting in her head, reading, you know, looking at her private things constantly. Mm-hmm. So somebody turns up and showers her and and at the same time also not treating her as very important. Yeah. You know, and so somebody turning up and kind of saying, "Hey, you're really cool. I really like you." Mm-hmm. Of course, of course mm-hmm. she is going to just fall head over heels for that. Of course she is. Right. You know, and it 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 was inevitable. Um, so it's not that it's her fault. It's that she was in a situation that she couldn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. What is powerful about this is, is that she gets herself out of it. Mm-hmm. No one does that for her. Yeah. It would have been... 
very problematic if a hero had ridden in and saved her Mm -hmm. in some way at that end. And that is not what happens. She finds her balance. (coughs) You know, you have that speech, you know, thunder in my right hand. Uh, and she and she finds her balance and finds her way out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and even with the uh, Roland, yeah, you know, the Fiegel's taking Roland on you know his you know heroic path. You know what they're doing is essentially doing the background work so that you know so that the real summer lady is available to step in. Yeah, you know, step in once Tiffany you know, does what needs to be done to resolve things. Um, mm-hmm. And then also, I feel like it's, I feel like a lot of this book is kind of an indictment of the witch training system, right? Oh, entirely. Like, yeah. like that people, people like, I've seen people like blaming Tiffany for, for stepping into the dance, like that, that everything's her fault for stepping into the dance, which is kind of what Miss mm-hmm. Treason does a little bit. But like also, like she was operating on, literally zero information right and right. even when the wintersmith comes to return the horse like that you could be like oh well you know tiffany tiffany you know brought this all upon herself for by taking the horse back mm-hmm. what she was operating on in terms of information was just like this is some sort of weird morris dance and yeah. and like Something appears yeah. to be giving me my horse back. Like she does, she she has no information to work from, and it's it's just the you know, you you can you set people up to fail by not giving them enough information to operate with. Yeah, the yeah. the thing that I just thought about, like as you were talking, was uh, rem- I was remembering the whole "Don't eat the green wobbly" bit in Amazing Maurice. The reason that they know not to eat the green Maurice. I'm sorry. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. I'm being yelled at for being American. I mean, if they, uh. if, they, if they wanted us to call him Marie, if they wanted him to call him Morris, they should have spelled it right. <laughs> it's Morris. It's the anyway, amazing Morris. Anyway. I will not have it. With, anyway. with yes, the on. clan. <laughs> and knowing not to eat the green wobbly bit is because somebody ate the green wobbly bit and died. And everybody has said, oh, don't eat the green wobbly bit to everybody. And it was something that you told people. So nobody told Tiffany not to eat the green wobbly bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is it. She, this is often the way life is. You know, you do things and sometimes they are not the ideal thing for that moment in time, but that's what's happened. Mm -hmm. And then the next, the important thing is how do you deal with it? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, there is no point in beating yourself up for making a mistake, regardless of whether you had enough information or not. The point is you need to fix it. And, you know, pulling back, of course, to the broader, you know, fact that she's a literary character, uh, and a and on a hero's journey of her own, she has to go through trials. Like, exactly. You know, yeah. the, the reason that she's the reason that this whole plot happens is because it needed to happen so that there was a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If she hadn't, if she'd done the sensible thing, then there wouldn't be a story. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. she wouldn't have found that new power of balance, and she wouldn't have called down the sun on the Witcher Smith, yeah. just like how she wouldn't have ever, yeah. you know. It hit green Jenny in the face with a frying pan if she hadn't, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We don't always want our characters to make sensible decisions. It's fun when they fuck up. 
Yeah. And, exactly. And we could we could say the thing about the same thing about the hiver too, that like nobody told her that her see me thing was dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, you could say that the whole hiver thing was also air quotes her fault, but it's the same it's the same thing that she was operating on insufficient information. And, you know, some of that also is probably the granny being like well, if she is the witch that I think she is, she'll be fine. And if she isn't the witch that she thinks she that, that I think she is, she won't be fine. And both of those are endpoints. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Other interesting Discworld references that we noticed. I had a question. I'm pretty sure that Sybil, as well as Miss Tick, went to the Quorum College for young ladies. I think. I think. Yeah. All of his women. Can uh, yeah, I think also Susan went there. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like eaten. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh of course there's there's the line I don't want to wear midnight and make people afraid of me. <laughs> oh yeah. Which obviously that's coming back. He obviously we're like, ah, there's a title. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got Rob reading Where's My Cow to the other Feagles. Which oh, yeah. Yeah. Where's my coo? Yeah. Where's my coo? Yeah. It's not my coo. It goes cluck. <laughs> and and of course we've mentioned this but all of nanny's daughters-in-law just waiting on her yeah which i don't think it, it's not really explained in the book no not at in all. this one no <laughs> no uh, we just expected to know about it's that it's a point. it's a pixar yeah. level joke where there's some jokes that are just for the adults and if you don't see them then you don't mm. then it doesn't affect your enjoyment of the book at all oh and uh yeah the principles of modern accountancy at the end yeah, that was Which, that is if, a heroic if, effort. Yeah, if you've read Alive with Footnotes, though, what you realize is that because this book is not that long after Rob Wilkins went to work with Terry Pratchett, and one of the first jobs that Terry gave him was uh, income tax returns. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that's that's a little that's a little joke. For Rob, there really, I'm just like <laughs> he read it, and to make it interesting, he added dragons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other thing that struck me was the scene in when when the witches are very clearly determining who's going to have the cottage. The way that the groups form and change and reform reminded me distinctly of the scene where they're watching the uh, patrician decision happen in uh, Nightwatch. Mm, yeah. Mm. I'm sure there's probably a million other things. You've mentioned Anoya as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I love Anoya. She's like, oh, you can yeah. see me. <laughs> <laughs> Just tired smoking a cigarette. It was great. It's not actually, is it actually death? The ferryman is not actually death, I don't think. I think it I is. I mean, he's got the death voice. I think he's an aspect of death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. The font is not the same. It, it is. It's, <laughs> it's, in, it's, it's yeah, in my it's, edition. The voice is the same. Yeah. It's unquoted small caps in my, in my book. Huh. I'm sure it looked different to me. I kind of imagine that that character was a different character. Oh, huh. I, it, at least the way he's presented in the audio book there, it, it's, it is 100% death. Um, mm. like I, I'm choosing, I'm choosing to believe that it's not prime death, but like an aspect of death that has been mm-hmm. yeah. subletted to this dimension. Mm-hmm. It's a service running in the background of death exe. <laughs> it's, like, a it's like, it's mm. like the death of rats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm thinking about the whole psychopomp thing mm. as well because also I'm thinking of Death in the Sandman as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because obviously we've had the Sandman recently, but yeah, just that whole thing of the of the escort. But I'm sort of thinking if Death, one of Death, Discworld Death, the main Death, one of his main things is that he there isn't a specific place that he takes people to. Right. Mm-hmm. He always says that they go where they think they ought to go. Uh-huh. So the idea that he's also the ferryman in a very specific kind of Greek mythology underworld type setup doesn't quite gel with that. Well, they they are going where they think they're supposed to be going. Right. He goes where he's expected, <laughs> right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess I don't know. I just for some reason I always imagine the ferryman here was a different character. And maybe and maybe this is sort of like, you know, and an older aspect of himself in some ways. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole through line of Rob anybody learning to read is... <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> oh, and that romance book that Tiffany picked yeah, up as well. The, libra- the poor librarians. She's picking up... Yeah, all oh, the librarians are brilliant, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, the wandering librarians. But no, but that thing with the romance where she's like, well, what about going to pick nuts? That's the wrong time of year for yeah. nuts. <laughs> Surely this is lambing season. She's supposed to live on a farm. <laughs> She's not, what is she doing? Yeah. You know, and, and then like turns the pages like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's what's happening. Oh, <laughs> the the I, I got it. Or it's like, why aren't these sheep being sheared? I mean, I, I there's like maybe they're maybe they're like they don't need to be sheared, but this would have been important. You should have put that in the. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, any other things that we want to pick up before we go? I don't think there's anything else that I want to. I think we, I think we've got it all. Kat, did you want to talk about narrativium? Yeah, I need to do a public correction. I think it's the first time we've had to like. I think this might be the first time that somebody's ever had to like issue a correction or apology on any of our shows. Yeah. Well, no, worse, it's, it's a correction for another show. Uh, I love that. Uh, so, <laughs> it means that we continue to not apologize or correct ourselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because when, when I was doing the Science of the Discworld with the, uh, with the Pratchett team, um, we said that narrativium didn't turn up in any of the books outside of Science of the Discworld. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and then, of course, I read this book and I'm like, oh, uh, here it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> yep. it's Dr. It's Dr. Sensibility Bustle mentions it. Yeah. You know, and uh, da, 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 you know, he with his reedy self-satisfied voice and gave her a lecture on the lesser elements and how indeed humans were made up of nearly all of them, but also contained a lot of narrativium, the basic element of stories, which you could only detect by watching the way all the others behaved. I'm like, oh for goodness sake, I just literally said <laughs> But it's because it's Doctor Bustle, isn't it? And he's uh, he's essentially the science character. Wait, that that reminds me though. Um, we have a a chemical scientist on this podcast. Oh, hang on, wait a minute. Now, be- <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> should we should we talk a little bit about the things that make a man? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How do you make a man? You know, te- Is this accurate? <laughs> Is the recipe accurate? Well. You know what? I think, broadly speaking, it probably is because I'm just, you know what? I haven't, I can't remember the poem now. 
But, you know, there is quite a lot. I mean, there's quite a lot of iron in humans, obviously, because you've got it in blood. Uh, sulfur. How much sulfur is it? Sulfur, is sulfur enough to, to stop the fleas. So it's iron enough to make a nail, lime yeah. enough to paint a wall, water enough to drown a dog, sulfur enough to stop the fleas, potash enough to wash a shirt, gold enough to buy a bean, yeah. silver enough to coat a pin, lead enough to ballast a bird, phosphor enough to light the town, poison enough to kill a cow, which I'm assuming is an arsenic. I mean, there are tra- I mean, there all of these elements are in the human yeah. body. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue for the specific quantities, <laughs> but you know, I have actually got a t-shirt at home somewhere, uh, that has all the elements in the human body, like listed with quantities on. I should have worn <laughs> it, shouldn't yeah. I? But I, I don't, oh, goodness, I don't know where it is now. Um, got it from the science museum, but, uh, uh, just hang on. I found a graph percentage of body weight calcium 1.5 percent yeah so lime is calcium oxide uh so that sounds about right (laughs) phosphorus phosphorus one percent of body weight so yeah okay that works potash yeah there's quite a fair bit of potassium as well uh so yeah i think it might be a bit generous on the sulfur (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I mean, all these elements are in the human body, mm-hmm. so I think. Um, but I don't, I don't. Did he make that? He didn't make that that rhyme up, did he? Uh, That's. Uh, oh, I should know that. I should have looked that up, shouldn't I? I, did, I should, he didn't actually make that up. That was a. That's a. That's a known thing, right? I only see the yeah. saying. Yeah, I don't know. See all the references I can find at Discworld, so yeah. maybe it is. I don't know. Or, or the Steel Ice, Steel Ice Band song, which, again, they... Yeah, okay, so maybe maybe he did. Uh, he claims that he made it up. Hmm. Oh, okay. All in right. an interview. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, in that case, I'm pretty sure that he probably did look up the quantities and, and oh, do some guesstimation. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, makes sense. All right, let's do some ratings. Okay. Uh, Justin? I give it uh, six out of seven icicles hanging from a house. Anna? I'm going to give it a billion glittering Tiffany-shaped snowflakes. I like that one. Uh, Kat? Uh, 499 out of 500, give or take a spog, feagles. And I give it the correct six months out of the year. Cool. All <laughs> right. Before we have Justin read the... Um, or will this, this might make us too depressed. Uh how do you want people to find you on the internet one month after the last time we asked you this oh well i mean i am still on twitter twitter has not died yet yet this might change by the time this episode comes out who knows who knows who knows uh i i did set up a mastodon account which is at chronicle flask at mstdn.social I quite like that instance. If you're looking for a Mastodon instance, I quite like that one. Um, by the way, we're putting this on the record. Um, I'm sure like Aaron's doing stuff. Babpod will never move to another platform. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. You're just going to throw throw the, the breaker like uh, JMS? If you want to track down Babpod shit, you could like, find my instances. Like, unless... I'm never making an Instagram for the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, me neither. Yeah, no. 
And I refused I refused to learn other social media platforms. No, fair enough. Yeah, I mean at the other place obviously is Pseudopod. Come and find me. So you'll find me on Pseudopod. You'll hear my get to hear my voice there if you <laughs> haven't had enough of me already. Excellent. Well, Justin, would you like to read the, the blurb for the next book? Yes, it has been provided in the document for me so I don't have to like fumble around Amazon for five minutes. <laughs> Amazingly, former arch swindler turned postmaster general Moist von Litvig has somehow managed to get the woefully inefficient Ankh-Morpork post office running like, well, not like a government office at all. Now, the Supreme Despot Lord Veterinari is asking Moist if he'd like to make some real money. Veterinari wants Moist to resuscitate the venerable royal mint so that perhaps it will no longer cost considerably more than a penny to make a penny. Moist doesn't want the job. However, a request from Ankh Pork's current ruling tyrant isn't a request per se, more like a once-in-a-lifetime author you can certainly reviews if you feel like you've lived quite long enough. So Moist will have to just de- learn to deal with elderly Royal Bank Chairman Topsy Nay Turvey, lavish and her two littered crossbows, a face-lapping mint manager, and a chief clerk who's probably a vampire. But he'll soon be making lethal enemies as well as money, especially if he can't figure out where all the gold has gone. All right, it's more economics. Hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> so remember when we were reading Going Postal and you were like, he's just making fiat currency and we very seriously didn't respond? Uh, I mean, so this is a fun, funny thing. Uh, uh, making Money is the only Discworld book I owned before we started this project. <laughs> if you, I, I've, I've, I've mentioned this probably in previous episodes, but on the day Terry died, I worked in a used bookstore and me and three other employees raided all of our signed books. Um, <laughs> and we all took home Discworld books with our, like with our saved cash of store credit. So that is the one I own. There's it's, there's a dedication to a guy or it's signed to a guy named Mike. <laughs> well, Mike, if you're out there, you're lost. I've got your book, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, and with that, I think we're going to call it a night. Um, All right. Thank All right. you for joining us, and mind how you go. The Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the Fair Use Doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please, share it. But say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at Pod, which is A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D, or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com. <laughs>